Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. This week, I'm joined by another member of the Fox family and one of the funniest people I know. I'm sure we're all in for a great laugh. Jimmy Fela is the host of Fox Across America and a hilarious stand-up comedian who went from a New York City cab driver to a national radio talk show host and one of my new friends. Jimmy's career trajectory is one that is both inspiring and unique and truly an example of how perseverance and authenticity are key elements to success. Jimmy, what's up? Hey, girl. Hey, um, I love having a new friend. <laughs> and I think of you as one of my new friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also am thrilled with your success. It's really impressive. And I wanted to... Uh, bring you on the podcast. I have a few questions for you that we usually talk about, like best advice you've ever gotten, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but before we do that, can you take people back? Where did you grow up and what did you initially think you were going to do? Oh, wow. Yes. And yes, I, I love our friendship too, by the way, because most people, you don't make friends over the age of 30. You usually hear that in life. Mm-hmm. But I think in life, we're all attracted to like certain energy. And the people you gravitate towards have the same energy, maybe the same ambition or whatever it is. And in my case, I think the drugs I'm on give me an energy that you enjoy. <laughs> I well, kid. It's clean. I, think, I also think that um, it's a good example of why work from home is a fine idea. It works for some people. Mm-hmm. But one of the ways to continue to make friends in yeah. your life is to see them. Yeah, leave the house. In an office. Yes. <laughs> it's the thing about not leaving the house. You know, you don't really socialize as much for whatever reason. Don't get me wrong. Me and the seamless guy are on phenomenal terms yes. after the pandemic. But my story began in Levittown, New York, uh, out on Strong Island. And I grew up in a big law enforcement family, and I always thought I would be a cop. Um, in fact, I took police tests and got hired to be a city cop and a Port Authority cop. But by then, I was also doing a little bit of stand-up comedy and thought I had the world figured out because I was getting paid in drink tickets two nights a week. I'm like, <laughs> I don't need your job and your salary and your benefits. There's an opium den on the Lower East Side. I'm going to be doing five minutes for a bunch of drunk tourists. Who the heck wants to go to the police academy? So I kind of saw that through. Wow. But basically growing up in a pretty funny house. I grew up, this is an interesting thing about me. I grew up around a lot of funny women, joke-telling women. My grandma, Fela, uh, was Sicilian, and she had a lot of good street jokes. Um, one of them she used to tell me, I can remember in first grade, did you, did you hear about the flasher who was thinking about retiring? No, Grandma. Well, he decided to stick it out for another year. Hey! You know what I mean? It's like a Jeffrey Tubin joke. But she was funny, oh and she was Sicilian. And what's interesting about her, Dana, is she would always close conversations. All the way back when I was five, I can remember her saying, I love you, honey. Don't ever put anything in writing. 
That was my Sicilian <laughs> grandma. And I used to just roll with it. I didn't know what it meant until I got older. I'm like, I don't know, maybe my grandma was a racketeer. But my grandma and my mother's mom, uh, also a really funny joke teller. So I came, I grew up surrounded by funny people. My teacher in fifth grade, Mrs. Pascana, uh, loved The Tonight Show. And she was like, you should watch The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson's very funny. You'd like that sort of thing. You should watch it. It was always kind of steering me in that direction. Mm-hmm. And there weren't DVRs back then, so did you stay up? <laughs> was, there's a little VHS action. Okay. And yes, from time to time, I would stay up and watch j- the openings because it didn't replay. That's the point. You didn't have the option of getting it online. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of Johnny Carson in my life, a lot of Rodney Dangerfield in my life. And I think subconsciously I knew I wanted to do stand-up. Um, but I probably never would have have the seismic event in my life. It's very fascinating. So my parents are married 30 years. Uh, they got divorced after 30 years, which again mm, is, My parents divorced after 28. That, it's amazing because mm-hmm. at that age, you are saying like, <laughs> I'd rather die alone. No, I don't want to do this. I'd rather die alone than do another 10, 20, 30 years of this crap. But anyway, when my parents had gotten divorced, okay, at that time, the only occupation I had held was telemarketer. Okay, I was a telemarketer. We were selling rare coins. So it was you. Security apartments. Stop it. I'm probably my fault. Yeah, they're like, I can't stick around. No, I did telemarketing too. Yeah, did you? Okay, funny. So I had a lot of those gigs. And um, I went out on a Friday night. My buddy Steve Robbins, who was an athlete, uh, like I drafted to play minor league baseball, was a good athlete. But at the time, he was starring in a college school play. And as I was sitting there watching the play, I noticed his divorced mom who was out on a Friday night watching the play and she had something silly to talk to her friends about. And I said to myself, wow, I'm like, I should really just go do comedy to get my mom out of the house. And I'm not kidding. Like I, the first time I did an open mic, it's because I wanted my mom to have something to do on a Friday night. She was going through a rough time and it went well. And then just like within like three weeks had turned into like, hey, you're all right at this. Do you want to do this show? Do you want to do this show? Because the way it works in comedy is you gain employment not from being funny in the beginning, but from owning a car. Because most (laughs) bigger name comedians either live in the city and don't have a car or they live in the suburbs and shouldn't have a car based on past indiscretions. Got it. So you wind up driving like Biff from Back to the Future to a gig, and they always tell you it's an hour outside the city. And then three hours into the trip, you're like, what city, Quebec? Like, they never say what city. They just say the city. And, you're, and then you open for them? Yeah, you'd open for oh, people. Okay. So you drive hours and hours and hours to get on the road. But that's kind of how it started. And then in the process of doing low-level stand-up gigs, I was also driving a taxi full-time. Um, and that's where our story kind of starts to take shape. I was doing stand-up. I was driving a taxi in the city full-time about five years, licensed about eight. And uh, one night on a Sunday night, I was actually seen by a booker from this channel who was just like, hey, if we Who bring, was that? Uh, it was a kid named Andrew Heaton who at the time was booking Kennedy's show called The Independence. Yes, I remember and, The Independence. Well, the best part of the story is he had asked me on a Sunday night. He's like, hey, do you want to come do Fox tomorrow? And I kind of thought he was kidding. But I showed up the next day with my taxi. Like my taxi was out front on 6th <laughs> Avenue, double parked. I did a hit. Double park. I did a hit. I had the hazards on. I did a hit. It was on a show called The Independence. I walked outside. I'll never forget talking to Kennedy. And I was like, well, thank you for having me on your show. I'm like, but I got to go. My taxi's waiting. And she's like, your driver's not in it. And I was like, here's where it gets weird. I'm like, it's my taxi. I got to get out of here. It was like a whole to do. But it was around that time that I started appearing on Fox. And here we are. And you and Kennedy hit it off immediately. Yeah, we were just great pals. And um, what's interesting about Kennedy and I is I didn't know she was MTV Kennedy. 
I just knew oh. I was I was so blind. Knew- I always tell people I'm like I know I know MTV oh. Kennedy, oh. and then, then I'm then they think I'm cool. <laughs> well, it's funny. I knew MTV Kennedy in the '90s, but this whole process was like so overwhelming for me that in that moment I wasn't doing any math. I was just there. There was a taxi involved. I had told jokes the night before, and now I was suddenly on TV, and I was wearing a loud jacket to distract from the fact that I had no idea what I was doing there. <laughs> that's that's where this started. The loud jacket thing is me distracting from my glaring lack of intellect. You could do two minutes on how I looked silly, make one analogy about something going on in the news, and they're like, this guy's not bad. And you, you know, it's funny. When I hosted for Gutfeld the other night, mm-hmm. um, I didn't wear a loud jacket, but I wore the orange dress to distract. No, you matched the set. No, no it was well, spot well, it, on. I, Yes, I was like, oh, the accents of the show, mm-hmm. like Gutfeld exclamation point, yep. um, really was stolen from Garfield. Yes, do you remember? Like I do. Thing? It looks just like the Garfield logo. Mm-hmm. And so it was always in my mind. So I know what you mean about the distraction. So Love wait, did, did your mom then get out of the house? Yes. She started to get out and go to shows. Does she watch and, you now? Uh, oh, my. It's like a huge deal. Oh. Like a really Like huge, when you're on? Yes, yes. That. She's, she'd be a phenomenal agent. What did she think about when you hosted on The Five? That was a big deal. Like, you got to understand. Like, in, to, in the circles that I come from. Okay. First of all, big law enforcement family that's just watching Fox twenty four hours a okay. day. But I'm also married into a dairy a, a farm family. Out oh, in I didn't Ohio. know that. Jenny Fela, my wife, is from Wapakoneta, Ohio. She grew up on a dairy farm, okay. so she had no idea how much better she could do at the time we met. <laughs> you know, because I was doing stand up out in Cleveland. And I, met her out in Cleveland. I know that's not true. No, well, okay. whatever. She did. She got a great story out of it, regardless. <laughs> but at the time, I think she could have did better. But she's a great gal. But her family, as you'd imagine, out in Ohio, in Wapakoneta, mm-hmm. Ohio, birthplace Farmers. of Neil Armstrong. Mm-hmm. They love Fox News. Yeah, so the idea that they saw me on the five on like, someone who cares about day, what they do. It's that's what I mean. And yeah. it's a bit it's a big deal, big deal. So okay. I have a lot of currency back home right now. OK, so if you're going to be on the five, it's like a big deal for you because you uh, you want to do well, obviously, on the five. But it, it's because your family's going to give you crap if you don't. <laughs> I have a lot of Simon Cowles, but they're not wearing V-necks. They're wearing overalls, <laughs> but they're great people. But they will not hold back the critiques. No. We'll be right back with more of this interview right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. How do you... How do you prepare like for a comedy show? Like I, I'm, I love comedy. I love mm-hmm. watching it. I made a huge, huge mistake uh-huh. uh, a couple of weeks ago. My mom was in town, and um, we had a big combined birthday party for her and my husband because her birthdays are in June. And we had an epic party. It was so fun. Everybody was so Friday night was like the welcome party for the group that had arrived. Saturday night was the big party. Sunday was recovery. <laughs> And Sunday night, we don't have that much time to watch a movie, but we all need one more thing to do. So I'm flipped. I turn on Netflix and I'm like, oh, (laughs) you're you're not going to believe what I did. Oh, no. And so there's several of us there, a couple friends, Mm -hmm. my sister and brother-in-law and my mom. And I chose Bill Burr's. Netflix special, oh, the new boy. one, <laughs> where they have where it has yeah. several comedians yeah, on. Yeah. Like Bill Burr's that was pretty yeah. funny, uh-huh. and then he's like, "Now let me introduce you to these people." I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh boy," <laughs> and uh, it was okay at first, and it fell away so badly that <laughs> by, there was at one point I was like, 
I wanted to lunge for the remote and turn it off or like or like yank the cord out of the, the um, wall because it was inappropriate. We've all been there really quickly. My worst experience as a comedy viewer is when my mom had turned 50. We took her out to the comic strip live. So I wasn't doing stand up yet. I was harboring ambitions. And we went to the comic strip live. We sat in the front row. And the first act who went on did 30 minutes on how 50 year old women were the easiest women to hook up with. And there's my mom. And, you know, we got all the streamers and the hats. Yeah, it was, I know. I'm like, yeah, good thing we left the house. (laughs) Uh, So, but how do you, how Uh did you learn how to? write your jokes or come up with your jokes? What's the process like for you? Here's my real process. The TV process is different than the stand-up process. Yes. In TV, um, if I'm doing a hit, I read everything on earth known to man about the hit and show up not to talk but to listen. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is when it comes to jokes, they need to go where they belong. If you show up to talk, you might tell a joke in the wrong context and it doesn't work. But if you show up to listen, um, armed with a lot of like cross-pollination of thought in your head, you just trust your average that you're going to insert joke here where it belongs and make substantive points. In stand-up, most of my writing I did while driving a cab, it was just observational stuff. You know, people would get in and they would talk to you about, you know, some shared experience you both had and you'd come away from it with like a hypothesis because the thing about comedy is you're, you're making points through humor. They're all marinated in some type of an opinion or some type of an emotion. So generally my process is I get up in the morning and I just write about my life. It's almost like I'm journaling and at some point I'll hit a junction in the road where I go like this is universally true. Yes, that's something – I just learned something of one of the reasons I might really like comedy is that shared experience thing. So sometimes like I'll hear a comic say, have you ever noticed – and then it's like, yes. <laughs> yes. It's yes. one of the funniest things in the comedy club is when you, you hit your buddy and you're like, we were just talking about this yes. on the way here. And that's the thing. Yes. So you always try to write because this is the key to stand up and to being successful about it is you are performing for a group of strangers that don't know you. So you've got to communicate in a broad sense that allows you all to indulge in a shorthand language that will translate. I'm making this point for a reason. Everybody has a friend, like, oh, Bob in accounting should do stand-up. He's hilarious. But the reason Bob dies is because in the office, you all speak a shorthand language about the type of coding and the reports and everything in the spreadsheets and everything in between. making fun of the boss. Yes, the audience (laughs) doesn't necessarily, thank you, they don't necessarily speak that shorthand. Right. So until Bob learns how to to, to package his thoughts for a broader consumption, Mm -hmm. he doesn't work. So that's the key to stand-up. You all start off with some funny ideas, but you've got to be willing to spend like six months with your soul on stage in an actual fetal position, just taking the beating of your life till you've figured it out. And it takes some of us longer than others. I was probably okay at it pretty good, Mm -hmm. but it's only because really quick, whatever conversational acumen I have right now, I've had since I was five. You're not watching the ascendancy of a career. You're actually watching a childhood prodigy go backwards right now. That's what this is. So, on this, in my book and in the podcast, I talk about people who uh-huh. are maybe in a transition. Uh-huh. So initially I was writing my book for people that were in that quarter life crisis area, uh-huh. especially women. Yeah. I go through this a lot, right? You get to be 25 and all the things you thought were going to happen by the time you're 25 are not happening. Yeah. But I always say trust. Like if you're doing all these, the right things, you can let go and mm-hmm. not worry about it all the time. And by the time you're 28, you're going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, I see. It all worked out. But those three years are, are really tough and there's a lot of anxiety. But I, then I also broadened out to people who were wanting to go from one career to the next or uh-huh. making that leap of faith. I, that happened with me. And when I left the White House, I had to decide what I was going to do. And I thought that the 
a call that I got to do a speech or something uh-huh. would be the last call I ever got. So I accepted every job. Yes. And I was so strung out. And so I was working mm-hmm. more hours even than I did at the White House. I was totally stressed. And the leap that I took was actually kind of a push from President Bush, which is start your own business. Like, so, oh, I don't I, there's like, here's a hundred <laughs> reasons why I can't. He's like, yeah, I'm not persuaded by that at all. You're an American educated woman who is the White House press secretary. If you start a business and it doesn't work or you don't like doing it, then yeah. what's the worst that could happen? You know, asking yourself that. Mm-hmm. But what was it like to realize that you could leave driving a taxi mm-hmm. and trust that this was going to work out. I mean, at that point you're a father. Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, that, that had always been the goal. So part of it, you know, w- what should be exhilaration is as a father, as a person who's always waiting for the other shoe to drop, like it was actually hard to settle into the reality that I had done it. So I had held on to my taxi license like two years after being a cab driver because I was like, I don't know. You don't know how the show's going to go today. You know, it's actually my taxi license is in my studio to this day. I hold on to it. It's kind of like a reminder. But what was empowering about it is the best way I would describe it is getting out of bed and knowing that you're now going to be the reason you live or die every day, meaning your own talent, your own work ethic, because the thing you figure out the minute you're out on your own working for yourself the way you described is that we are all competing against ourselves in the, in the workplace. It's not about everybody else you're trying to compare yourself to or catch up to. It's about your ability to self-edit and discipline yourself to work as hard as you can. So I found that empowering is the best way, empowering and slightly terrifying. But the fear kind of dissipates as you realize you can trust your own work ethic. Mm-hmm. 21-year-old me would have still been terrified and probably not have pulled it off. But what helped me was having a wife and a child and having people that were, you know, going to kind of feel the brunt of my decision making beyond me mm-hmm. made me more efficient and, you know, pragmatic and more assertive than I would have been if I was younger. So some people, they say like, oh, you know, having a kid's the best thing that ever happened to me. It is for some kids, you know, some people. I was one of those people. But anybody who tells you every child is a gift, listen, they've never babysat my nieces and nephews. <laughs> I mean, I'd like the receipt for some of those gifts if they're listening and they know I'm just kidding. Um, tell me about that. Anxiety, though, when you said that you're a person that you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yep. Because I think a lot of people are like that. And actually, um, it w- would just, this is just a fact. It's uh-huh. not just necessarily about religion, but uh, and possibly this is true in other religions aside from Christianity. But over and over again in the Bible, uh-huh. God tells you fear not. Yeah. And it's it must be this this weird biological thing that we all have, which is mm-hmm. to worry that something is bad is going to happen. I, the I, only person I know who mm-hmm. is not like that is Jesse Waters. Is that true? He does not worry. Well, listen, if He's I had, like, he always thinks like it's always going to be better. It's always going to be better. If I had wow. his hair, I might feel the same way. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's just the Waters hair confidence. He's like six three. He's got nice hair. It is always going to be better. I mean, that's the racket of Jesse Waters. He's an Eagles fan. It's all going to work out fine for him. Um, but for me personally, I think it's a self preservation instinct and you might have a little bit of that too some of us run off adversity and I think that's my thing as I always tell people I have like an abusive stage dad that lives in my head and he's always like yelling at me that I didn't work harder or I didn't say this the right way or that could have been better and it's a really weird thing but I walk around like as pleasant as I am like a dog with a job tails always wagging but I walk around like kind of yelling at myself comedically all day really? no it's huh. hilarious and then the minute I go on my abusive stage dad pays me a compliment he's like I like your shoes Jimmy and I'm like oh wow check it out <laughs> and the camera comes on and I'm like woo and it's great yeah. but it's that's my process it's weird it's really great mm-hmm. um so you have not only the radio show, mm-hmm. but this uh, 
I don't know. I think that the jump to TV has been very easy for you. Uh, you're fun to have on. What's great is it maybe it's because of just all of your life experiences and listening, like in mm-hmm. your cab. But there's really not a topic that you can't talk about. No, you're, you're, you've become the utility players. Like <laughs> we have we have Jimmy tomorrow. Okay, great. Then he can. We'll just find a topic for him in the morning. That's just how it works. And and the reason it is easy is I'm used to having the audience behind me. And if they don't like the point I'm making, they might attack me from behind over the seat <laughs> through the partition. So I find this to be a lot less stressful. Mm-hmm. But basically the reason I think I have like conversational versatility is I'm always gravitating towards the human element of these stories, how it immediately affects the person the consuming this at home. You know, I think some people come at this from a standpoint of, you know, what's the media takeaway going to be? And at times we get to that place or what are the what's the political calculus? But I think for me, I'm always just trying to put the conversation in a place where where I'm either A, somewhat knowledgeable, but B, somewhat passionate, because I spend enough time with our listeners on the radio and certainly TV viewers as well that I do know what they care about. Mm -hmm. So I try to go where they care instead of where we care. And then is that good prep for your comedy shows? Yes, it's fantastic. Um, What is the best advice you were ever given? Uh, Your attitude defines your experience. You have a good attitude. You have a good life regardless of circumstance. Bad life, you know, bad attitude. You could be born into spectacular prosperity. You might not enjoy it. So I'm always trying to be silver lining person and kind of come at this from, you know, you want to be a force multiplier of positive energy because people say, you know, positive uh, energy attracts positive outcomes. Well, I've been telling a few people who've asked me about hosting Gutfeld, what it was like. And I always I uh-huh. give one of the things I say is that. In the commercial breaks, you always looked at me and you're like, you're crushing it. You're amazing. This is so great. You were like my um, happy stage dad, I guess, in my head, in my head, or my encouraging stage dad. And um, that's a, you made a conscious effort to do it, but it also comes very naturally to you. But I but I did feel that way. Like when you were hosting yeah. Godfather, it was great. Oh, thank you. you. This is the thing, Dana. You have to know. I'm not certain. I was not looking for compliments. I was actually no. wanting to compliment you and how you helped Well, thank others. you. But this is the thing um, that matters. And if anybody's listening and they want to get into comedy, they need to understand. Comedy is an authority position. You'll hear a term bandied about a lot where they say, oh, you've got to read the room. But it's actually not true. In comedy, your job is to lead the room. You're the only one with a microphone. Mm. You are setting the terms of the negotiation. So if you actually get out there and choose to lead the room, the room will go wherever you take them. I'm going to steal that from my next book. It's all all you. Why not? I don't don't even need a royalty. Don't worry about it. I'm going to put your name next to it. No, no. Why would you? Why would you? You've done enough for me, Dana. Just do what you want. I'll I'll write the thing. Just put it back. You know, whatever you got to do, Dana. Um, and then uh, what advice do you find yourself giving others, whether they want to be in comedy uh-huh. or television? Do you find your aside mm-hmm. from the attitude yeah. one, is there advice that you yeah. find yourself giving over and over yes. again? Yes. You know how they say like dress for the job you want? Um, yes. To put that into a sharper perspective, I say job for the job you want. What I mean by that is this is a funny story. I was just at Hofstra University speaking to their graduates about, you know, getting a job in broadcast media, which was hilarious because I went to the community college across the street. So I told them, like, you might want to start by cutting across Hempstead Turnpike and saving 50 grand (laughs) and rolling where I went. But I say, whatever that job is, you want to do radio, you want to do TV, just start doing it immediately. Start doing it unpaid in some type of Internet medium. It's actually interesting. I I Back in the day, if you wanted to get in television, you had Mm -hmm. to really start in radio. Yeah. So I took a job during college Mm -hmm. working Saturday and Sunday overnights at the KCCY 96.9 FM country country (laughs) music. Is that in Wyoming? Where is that? It was Pueblo, Colorado. Yeah, okay, yeah. And so, but I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to try to get radio experience after I graduate. I want to go into TV after I graduate. Yeah. 
I ended up going to Capitol Hill, but <laughs> it's funny how that worked out. Uh, well, it's interesting because I think where radio and TV overlap really well is because radio is such a listening medium, even for a host, it does give you more of an ability to be in the moment on TV. You I think sh- radio is very difficult. Uh, it's my favorite. I, I love it. You want to know why I like it? Because it gives us time and latitude yeah. to really showcase personalities. So like the strategy on my show is I always tell the audience, like I'm trying to give you the person behind the policy. So someone comes on, you know where they stand on immigration. But if I talk to them about, you know, what the best live album is, did you see Top Gun 2? And we get into it that way. Mm -hmm. Those political points, they resonate in a different way with the listener. And I think radio gives you the room to do that, whereas TV doesn't because we've got a lot to get to in a finite amount of time. But the other that's the advice I say. Whatever the job is you want to do in this day and age, technology is so much easier and so much more available than it was that if you want to host radio, you want to host TV, start shooting on your iPhone, start recording on your iPhone. You start tomorrow. Get good at it. So when you meet the guy who knows the guy, you might actually be okay at it. That's the thing everybody does wrong. They want to meet the guy instead of honing the craft. The, people don't know what it's. People today don't know what it was like when, without like the DVR or whatever. <laughs> so let's just say, let's say it's viewing. 1982, mm-hmm. 83, 84, mm-hmm. right around, yep, yep, right yep. around there. And the bus dropped us off at 3:20, and it was a three quarters of a mile walk. Literally uphill to home. It was downhill to go to school, but it was uphill to get home. And I would run so fast <laughs> up the hill. Uh-huh. I mean, rural area. Mm-hmm. Hit the bathroom, get a snack, and get in front of the TV for our Little House on the Prairie. Oh, because, wow. like, I could not miss it. That was your jam. And it is interesting now that everything's just so Easy. Yeah. Find it anywhere. And maybe they're just overwhelmed by the choices. <laughs> there are no, there's too much content. I mean, most of my experiences streaming on Netflix is mm-hmm. 40 minutes of me looking at how many oh, offerings yeah. there are and then shutting it off without watching anything. Yeah. I do that twice a week. I keep a list of all the shows people recommend. Yeah. I do not recommend watching Bill Burr's Netflix special with your mom, but I do recommend <laughs> watching it. It's going to be funny. Um, my last question I wanted to ask you is what kind of, um, how do you approach parenting in today's modern world mm-hmm. with he's 13 yes, son, Link, right Link so um, now he's um obviously got his own personality like what does he like to do is he like you does or did are you yes he, okay. he's, he's like super outgoing he okay. comes on the radio on fridays oh i heard he's, about yes, that yes he's pretty solid i'll have to send you a link because the link he's pretty good that, yeah. so he's in eighth grade and he is like he's in his trolling stage where he just likes to give jenny and i a really hard time constantly <laughs> uh that's a big part of who lincoln is he likes to go to the store with you and cause scenes to embarrass us so to give you an example we go to stop and shop and he'll just start screaming i can't I can't believe you forgot my birthday. You don't even have two children. I can't believe you forgot my birthday. I can't even get a balloon. It was only two days ago. And it's like really embarrassing. Or a big one is, I can't believe, why won't you feed the dog? We have the fattest beagle. <laughs> but he walks around with my, my wife to the point that Jenny will leave Stop and Shop. and Because uh, one woman said to her, she's like, could you guys just feed the dog? We're like, we feed the dog. He's a fat dog. But he likes to troll. And he likes to give me a hard time on the radio. And he got on the show really quickly by calling in a year and a half ago in disguise and he told the call screener he was George from Queens and he got put through to the show I recognized his his acts immediately I recognized his voice and I was like let's go to George from Queens and he's like you're a really lousy dad from what I heard and I'm like oh it's my son Lincoln and he tried not to break character but he did
So we're having a good time. And I think, Dana, what I say to everybody is whatever your job is, wherever you're consuming this piece of content, uh, whatever your business you think your occupation is, we're all just in the fun business, man. Exactly. I think that's the whole point of being alive. If you die tomorrow, yeah. you're going to wish you had more fun. So I just tell yeah. everybody to go enjoy whatever the gig is, and I will, there'll be a market for you somewhere. I will leave you with one joke. My, this is the joke my husband told me on the airplane when we met. Oh, come now, on. this is before phones, right? So yeah. like we, we, you would actually talk to the person that you were sitting next to. And um, we got talking after a while. He had been to India, and I said, oh, really? And and he said, well, you know, India and England have a very close relationship because, of course, mm-hmm. I said, yes, oh, yes, I know all about that. And he said, well, did you know that Mahatma Gandhi's brother worked in the cloakroom at the Four Seasons in London? Oh. I said, I had no idea. He says, yeah, he um, worked in the cloakroom, and his name was Mahatma Coat. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Listen, That's is, cute. Is, is, is Do you like dad go- jokes? No, I, I, I'll laugh at them. You know, yeah. I'll, la- I'll laugh at them. Um, I know a lot of street jokes. <laughs> I don't know how appropriate they are for the medium we're in right now, but I grew up around <laughs> so many street jokes. Everybody told I wish them. I'd known your grandma, Fela. Oh, she was on fire. She had, But she was offensive because she lived to the age of no filter. So my grandma, Fela, would walk into a room and just be like, you got fat. You know, like, you're like, oh, hi. It's kind of hilarious if it's not you. <laughs> she had she had congratulated my cousin Cindy to my count seven times on being pregnant. To this day, Cindy has never had a child. But she has to congratulate her all the time. And again, if it's not you, it's hilarious. But if it's you, it gets old after a while. It does. Well, um, I love you, Jimmy. Oh. And don't put anything in writing. <laughs> Dana Farina will um, always have all right. this. Thanks for being here. You're the greatest. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy getting to know Jimmy Fela and watch his career. It is certainly going places. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to Fox News podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.